Uh, if you've got a Bible this morning, Revelation chapter 3 is where you want to turn. Uh, this morning, we're going to finish our study of the Laodicean church. And what that means is we're going to finish our study of Revelation chapters 2 and 3, uh, the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And so uh, as we kind of wind this thing down uh, this morning, man, is that me? Is that me making noise? I'm not sure. Okay. That's the guys in the back. Hey, man, yeah, help yourself. Do whatever. Do whatever you want to do back there. Yeah, it's a free-for-all today. I'm just kidding. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, we're going to wind this thing down out of Laodicea, hopefully by God's grace land the plane, uh, but we're not done yet. We have a few verses left to cover, and so I'm trusting that God, uh, as we, uh, man, look in the mirror of God's Word and realize that truthfully, this is the age and, and period in which we live. This is the, the church age that is specific to our generation this is the things, these are the things that we as a church are going to struggle with, both corporately and personally. Uh, my prayer is that God gives us the, the healing that we need. He, he gives us the discernment we need to overcome. Just because we live in the Laodicean church age, uh, by God's grace, we can, we can be a Philadelphian church. Does that make sense? We can, we can not succumb to the spirit of our age and, and become a carnal church like Laodicea. And so that's my heart's desire for myself, for, for our church. I pray it's your desire as well. Revelation 3, we're going to read verses 14 to 22, just again to kind of refresh our memory on the passage. We'll do a quick review, and then we'll finish the passage out uh, today. So look at Revelation 3, verse 14. The Bible says, Unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear." And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. And so we, we covered these verses the last two weeks. We saw that this church at Laodicea was a spiritually tepid church. They, they were neither hot nor cold. And, and because of that, God is a God of extremes, right? God, God prefers hot or cold. God prefers up or down. Saved or lost, God, God is not a God of the middle of the road, and yet this church found itself riding the fence, and God says, listen, that lukewarm state makes me sick so much that it, that it makes me want to spew you out of my mouth. It, it makes God want to regurgitate, and, and you know, there's things that are supposed to be hot, and we talked about it, man. Coffee is supposed to be hot, unless you're you know, a lady, and then I guess cold coffee. I'm just joking. I, I got a lot of flack from that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I like iced coffee. Okay, man. But, but nobody likes lukewarm coffee. Actually, there was one guy this week, Derek, said on Wednesday night, hey, man, I didn't want to raise my hand. But now he's raising his hand in the back. He, he, he's like, I kind of like lukewarm room temperature coffee. And I'm like, you're just sick, bro. I mean, I don't, <laughs> there's, there's no help for you. Uh, I, I spew you out of this church. No, I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't, that's a joke. That's just a joke. I, I don't, it, the exception proves the rule. There always has to be an exception. And so Derek would be the exception. So get that man a nice cup of lukewarm coffee if somebody can. 
But this was a spiritually tepid church, and, and, and man, it, it just wasn't a church of extremes. That's where we find ourselves in Christianity today. There are people that are, that are saved, uh, that, that have just enough of a walk with God to, to, to not be lost. But man, they don't make any stands on biblical authority or sound doctrine. And, and so they're not lost, but, but they're not on fire for God. They don't pursue the ministry of God, the work of God. A, a worship, a right worship lifestyle that worships God, and that's just where we live, and that, that's the majority of Christianity today, and, and yet God says, listen, that's not pleasing to me. This church was a self-deceived church because when they looked at themselves, they, they had a self-assessment that wasn't biblical. They saw themselves in a light that was more positive than their current situation, and they had no problem expressing that verbally. It was the church of the open mouth. They, they said some things about themselves. You know, I'm rich, I'm increased with goods, and I have need of nothing. And so as much as their assessment was wrong, the words coming out of their mouth were, were even more condemning because it didn't match the reality. And so Christ corrected this church, and he says, listen, don't you know that you're actually wretched and poor, you're wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked? And, and thank God that God, in their self-deception, didn't leave them alone. Christ actually said, I want you to know what you think about yourself is actually not true. And can I just tell you, that ought to be a good place for any of us to be. Whatever your self-perception is about yourself, whatever your self-perception is about the church or ministry or people, you ought to have a room for Christ to correct the, from the authority of his word to, to what is true and real and so Christ corrected this church, and, and he wanted to do that out of a motive of love. He didn't want them to be deceived. And so he began to counsel this church. He says, I counsel thee to buy some things of me. And so, and so this church needed counseling. And, and man, listen, Laodicean churches and Laodicean Christians need it. But what we need to understand is the counseling has to come from Christ, and it has to come from his word. And we looked at Psalm 119 and verse 24 last week. It says, Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. And so God, God's word can counsel us out of whatever self-deception or whatever mess we found ourselves in. God's word can counsel us out of that, but it's going to cost us some things, right? Christ says, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm counseling you to buy of me gold, and last week, we talked about how that represents personal worship. Gold is always connected with worship in the Bible. He says, listen, you need to buy of me gold. Secondly, you need to buy of me white raiment. And that white raiment is, is the, 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 the fruitfulness of the work of the ministry that we do, the labor that we do because of who we are in Christ. It's God's grace that works through us to accomplish the ministry. And at the judgment seat of Christ, hopefully there's fruit that remains. There's, there's precious stones that, that have been uh, won to Christ and discipled because of the labor that we've submitted to in, in Christ. And then thirdly, God says, you need to buy of me eye salve because you're blind. And, and that eye salve represents our, our time in God's word. And, and, and if we don't personally get in the word of God, if we don't grow in a right relationship with God, guys, listen, we're going to be blind. We'll be saved. We'll be in a church. We may even do religious things. But man, we will be spiritually blind to the things of God, to any kind of spiritual discernment. We'll be blind to our own depravity. We'll deceive ourselves. 
And so Christ says, listen, I don't want that for you. I love you. I'm rebuking you. I'm chastening you so that you can be restored. Aren't you thankful that Christ meets us where we, at, where we are? Listen, he could have looked at that church that he had nothing positive to say about and said, you know what, you screwed up so much, I don't want anything else to do with you. But he didn't do that. He, he, he intentionally engaged them where they were, and he gave them a path to restoration. And I'm thankful, because that means when we, when we mess it up, Christ, Christ's love is right there. It's still active. It's still real because he desires restoration for us. I'm thankful for that. Okay, so, so we work through all of that. This morning, we're going to finish in verses 20 to 22. So let's read that text, and then we're going to look at the challenge that God gives the church of Laodicea, and then we'll be done this morning. Look at verse 20. So Christ says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let's pray together. Father, we need you this morning. God, I pray uh, for us as we, as we conclude this passage. Uh, God, help us not to leave anything on the table. Uh, Lord, would you teach us uh, this morning that we can be overcomers in Christ, God, that even though we live in this Laodicean church age, and we live in a, in a culture and a, and a mindset that thinks we're better than what we are and even deceiving ourselves. We need to submit to your counsel. And Christ, we, we want to overcome in your power. And so, God, give us the victory that we need. We trust you with that. We ask it in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this morning we're going to look at the challenge. As, as we've noted, every one of these churches gets a challenge by Christ right at the end of each of the seven churches. And so there's three things that we'll talk about this morning. Number one, we want to look at a door that God intends to be opened. A door that God intends to be opened. Because in verse 20, Christ says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now the first question that we have to ask is, what is this door that Christ is standing at and knocking on? What is this door and again, listen, there's a lot of people that have a lot of opinion on this passage. As a matter of fact, this is one of the passages that I personally have used in personal evangelism. When, when, I, when I witness to someone and lead someone to Christ or, or attempt to lead someone to Christ, maybe they're already saved, but maybe they're backslidden in their relationship with God. And I've come to this passage and actually said, you know what? Okay, if you're saved, God is, is knocking on the door of your heart. And he wants to restore fellowship with you. You know, he, he wants to get back into your life. He wants to get back connected with you personally. And I think many of us that have been through evangelism training, man, there, there, there's this, this illustration that God's knocking on the door of your heart. And, and as I study the Bible, I think the only place that I can find that even would, would illustrate that your heart has a door in it, and you say, man, anatomically, that's impossible. Okay, spiritually, right? is Acts chapter 16, when, when Paul is preaching in verse 14, he says, A certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened. And she attended to the things that were spoken of by Paul. And, and so, man, if you were to say, hey, this illustrates the heart that Christ is standing at and knocking and wanting to get in, yeah, man, there's, there's for sure scripture that would kind of illustrate that and back that up. But listen, when God did that in Acts chapter 16, Christ is the one that opened the heart. 
But in Revelation chapter 3, he's knocking on this door and he's wanting a man to open the door. In other words, this is a door that Christ himself, he's not opening. Someone else has to open it. And again, we have to ask the question, man, what door is he standing at? And so listen, yeah, from an illustrative standpoint, yeah, for sure, we, we have our heart that can be opened, but God opens our heart when we hear and heed the word of God. Do you know that heaven has a door? As a matter of fact, in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, if you just flip one page over or look at the very next chapter in your Bible, John writes and he says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, a, was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things that must be hereafter. And listen, that is a real door. There is a real door in heaven, and Christ is the one that's going to open that door. In other words, no man is going to open that door. No church is going to open that door. We're not going to open that door. So this can't be what he's talking about in Revelation chapter 3. It's not the door of heaven because it's a door that a man can open. We know, as, as we studied Paul's ministry, many times he said that God opened a door of utterance unto him. And it was a door of utterance to preach the gospel, right? 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2 and verse 12. He says, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened unto me of the Lord. But again, that's a door that the Lord opened. So what is, what is he talking about in Revelation chapter 3? We even know from previous in the chapter that, that Christ himself is, is the one that can open doors, the Bible says, that no man shutteth, and he shuts doors that no man can open. Okay, so what door is he talking about in Revelation chapter 3? It, it can't be our heart, because God opens that. It can't be the door of heaven, because we can't open that. We can't open the, the doors of opportunity to preach the gospel. We can't force that. What's he talking about? Well, what I think he's talking about, and this is in your notes, I believe the only conclusion is it's the door of the church. It's the door of the church of the Laodiceans. It's the local church. And, and listen, it's the church that bears Christ's name. It's his church. And, and listen, can you just illustrate in your mind the picture of what's happening? Christ is locked out of his own church in Laodicea. And I, and I just want to remind you that the church is Christ's. That means it's not mine, it's not yours. Romans chapter 16, verse 16, Paul writes and he says, Salute one another with a holy kiss, the churches of Christ. Salute you. These are, these are Christ's churches. The local churches are Christ churches. They're not your church. This isn't your church. I'll say it louder so you can hear. It's not your church. It's Christ's church. It's his church. You say, well, I don't like that. Well, you're Laodicean. That's why you don't like it. But these are Christ's churches. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 tells us as Paul is admonishing the elders at Ephesus, he says, Take heed, therefore, to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. You see, the church is a purchased possession 
by Christ alone. And for me to assume any kind of ownership over that is theft. It's his church and his churches. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14. It says, For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God which are in Christ Jesus. And so listen, the church of Laodicea, Community Fellowship Baptist Church, it's not our church. It's not my church, it's not your church, it's Christ's church, so quit acting like it. It's not your church. It's not your church. But listen, Laodicean Christians are notorious for making the church about them. Because it's all about me. I am rich. I am increased with good. I have need of nothing. I, 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 I. And listen, can I just tell you, Christ is standing outside of his church, locked out, desiring to come in and fellowship. But, but, but we had better take note that we can have services, we can pray prayers, we can sing songs, we can do events, we can do ministry, and Christ still not be in this place. We had better be careful. We had better be mindful of who really owns the church. It's Christ's church. It's Christ's church. And so Christ is standing outside. He's knocking on the door of the church of Laodicea. And he's saying, if any man hear my voice and open the door. And can I just tell you as Christians, listen, we expect Christ to hear our voice, don't we? I mean, when we pray, don't we expect Christ to listen? When we sing, don't we expect Christ to listen? When we have a need, don't we expect Christ to be right there with a ready ear, day or night, 24-7, because he never sleeps and he never slumbers? And listen, I need you, God, right now. And we expect God to hear our voice. But can I just tell you, Christ is knocking on the church's door. And what he's looking for is a man to hear his voice. You, you see, as Laodiceans, man, we struggle with that because it's all about us. And, and we want to make sure Christ hears our voice. We want to make sure our voice is heard. But can I just tell you, there's somebody with a voice that's much more powerful, much more significant, much more meaningful than my voice. It's Christ's voice. And because he owns his church, because he purchased his church through his shed blood, his voice ought to be authoritative in the church. That means when we open the word of God and whoever it is that opens the word of God and reads, thus saith the Lord, it's Christ's voice. It's not my voice, it's not Cody's voice, Corey's voice, Colin's voice. It's Christ's voice. And so listen, we need to understand that at Laodicea, Christ is locked out of the church Christ is knocking, and he's, he's, he's opening his mouth, and he's sharing his word, and he's wanting to get into his church. So get this key in your notes. This is a door that any man can open, where, where, where the door in heaven, only Christ can do that, and, and, and the door of your heart, only Christ can do that, and the door of, of, of utterance to preach the gospel, only Christ can do that. Listen, this door is a door that any man can open. It says, if any man hear my voice and open the door. 
And can I just tell you that shows Christ's love and his desire to fellowship with his church. Christ is knocking on the door. He's speaking to his church and his desires that, that man, that somebody would go unlock the door and open the door. Even in the most lukewarm, selfish, carnal, non-committal church in the world, Laodicea. Christ is knocking, man. And he's like, would just somebody open the door? Would just somebody open the door? Who, who wants to hear my voice? Who wants to fellowship with me? Who wants to spend time with me? Who wants to sup with me? I wonder how many Christians in Laodicea would open the door. I wonder how many Christians at Community Fellowship Baptist Church would open the door. This is a door that any man can open, but you've got to be willing to open it. Get the second key in your notes. This is a door that can only be opened from the inside. This is, this is a door that has to be opened from the inside. In other words, Christ is locked out of his church. He's desiring to get into his church. It's his church. He owns the church. He bought the church. And now he's been thrust out of the church. And yet he's wanting to, to fellowship with the very people and the possession that is his. And can I just tell you that that door has to be opened from the inside. And, and here's the next key in your notes. Opening this door results in allowing Christ's presence. Now, can I just tell you again, man, I've been doing what I do for a minute. But can I just tell you that if we're not careful, we can go through the motions of church. We can go through the motions of a service. We can go through the motions of a sermon. We can go through the motions of a song. We can go through the motions of, of kids singing and ministry and activities. And we can go through the motions of missions trips. And we can pass the offering bucket and we can drop the coin and we can do all the things. But man, if Christ's presence is not with us, why are we even doing it? Do you, do you know that Moses in the Old Testament didn't even want to go to the promised land without Christ? He's like, man, God, if you're not going with us, I don't want to go. I just don't want to go. Because his presence is what adds value to it. It, it adds purpose to it. And man, listen, when we open the door to this church, when any man decides, man, I want a fellowship with Christ, what we're really doing is we're allowing his presence into this place. It's his place. So your willingness and my willingness to open the door, it guarantees Christ's willingness to come in. You see, Jesus is a gentleman. He's not going to force himself into this house. You've got to let him in. Now, he bought it. It's his. There'll be a time where he certainly rules with a rod of iron and, and all those different things for sure. But right now, Christ is a gentleman, and he gives you what you want. And, and, and if you want to have a church that's focused on you and, and lock Christ out, unfortunately, at this time, he'll allow it. Man, God help us not to be that kind of church. So, so there's a New Testament illustration. You know, as I was studying this this week, I was like, man, where, where do we see this in the picture of Scripture? Where do we see an example of this? And I, I landed in Acts chapter 12, and maybe not, it's not a perfect illustration, but I think, I think there's an interesting uh, parallel. And you can turn to Acts chapter 12 uh, if you want. I don't know if the passage is on the screen. It is on the screen. So in Acts chapter 12, Herod had just killed the apostle James. And, uh, and, and so 
when he saw that the people rejoiced in his execution of James, he imprisons Peter, intending after Easter to kill Peter too. And so Peter's in prison. The Bible says in Acts chapter 12 and verse 5 that, that prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him, right? Okay, so the church is praying. We expect God to hear our prayer. Peter's in prison. We're praying for Peter's release from prison. Look at verse 11. And Peter was come to himself, and, and, and again, verses 5 to, to 10 show us that, man, the angel of the Lord showed up and re- released his shackles and, and kicked Peter in the side and woke him up and, and get dressed and get out of here. Like God's delivering him, right? He, he's delivering him from captivity. Peter was come to himself, and he said, Now I know of a surety the Lord hath sent his angel and delivered me out of the hands of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. So this is John Mark's mom's house, where many were gathered together. And what were they doing? They were praying. Verse 5 tells you that prayer was made without ceasing of the church. And, And verse 12 tells you where the church was gathered. They were gathered at Mary's house. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice... She opened not the gate for gladness, but she ran and told how Peter stood at behold it before the gate. So she goes into all the adults, right? And she's like, man, Peter is outside. He's knocking on the door. I heard his voice. And they said to her, let's go open the door. <laughs> no, man. They said to her, thou art mad. Here's the New Testament translation, or, or J, J translation. You crazy. Don't you know Peter's in prison? He's about to die. <laughs> I mean, you're crazy. You're mad. But she constantly affirmed that he was even so. Then said they, it's his angel. And, and listen, if you take the time to study that, what was said right there, that's a very interesting statement. So what does that mean? Did they think he was dead? Did they think this was his heavenly representation now on earth? What is, what is he talking about? But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, it doesn't say they were joyous. It doesn't say they were glad. It doesn't say that they were anything other than astonished. And can I just tell you, in Laodicean Christianity, can I just tell you that it Peter being a picture of Christ outside the house of a group of people praying and acting religious. And when, when God actually does what God actually can do, the people inside the house think other people are crazy. They think that, 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 that God can't do it, that something else must have happened. And when they actually see Peter, in other words, when we actually see Christ move or Christ's presence manifest in this place, we don't even believe it. We're astonished. That's Laodicean Christianity. That's Laodicean Christianity. They they were Christians in Mary's house praying just like Laodicean Christians pray, but they were praying without expectation. They were critical of God's power to deliver prisoners from captivity. They were critical of those young in the faith that were glad for God's working. And let me just tell you, if you despise the young people in this church and how they're growing and how God is using them, You'd be better off hanging a millstone around your neck. But Laodicean Christians have no problem being critical, even of young damsels that believe God is working. 
And Laodiceans are quick to explain away the reality of things they don't believe. And they're actually astonished when they finally open the door and see what God can do. God has a door. And man, that door can only be opened from the inside of the church. And, and for us as corporate, uh, a corporate body, but also for us individually, we have to answer the question, are we, willing to answer the, are we willing to answer the door? Are we willing to open the door? Christ is looking for any man in a church. And man, I would love every Christian in this place to be, to be 100% on board with that, but I know the reality that that's not true. But the question is, are you? Are you willing to open the door and for Christ's presence to come into this place? Number two, Christ shows this church at Laodicea not only a door to be opened, but number two, he shows them a dinner to be desired. Look at verse 20. So Christ says, listen, I'm knocking at the door. If any man will open unto me, he says, I will come into him and will sup with him. And, and sup there doesn't mean like sup, like what's up, bro? Okay, sup is like the short word of supper. So listen, in your house, the evening meal, if it's dinner, raise your hand. Let's go get some dinner. Raise your hand if it's dinner. If the evening meal is supper, raise your hand. If the evening meal is dinner or supper, raise your hand. Who's just hungry? Let's go eat right now. <laughs> Michael Pierce, highest hand in the room. <laughs> I could have called that. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> it's like, at this point, I'll even take breakfast again. Like, just give me something. Okay, so, so, so Christ's desire is to come into the church and to sup with him, right? To have fellowship with him. And so here's the key, opening this door not only results in Christ's presence, but it results in Christ's fellowship. Okay, and you think about our culture, man. Don't we enjoy fellowship over food all the time? I mean, listen, every Sunday, all you crazy people stay here and talk for like an hour. And then you go to a restaurant and you talk again for like another, and it takes another hour and a half to serve you because like 20 of you go at a time, and, and we need to open our own restaurant or something because... Because, I mean, I mean but, but, but the fellowship that we have over a meal, man, when we, when we visit each other's homes and we cook out and we invite our families together, there's just fellowship that happens over food, right? It, it, there's, there's something biblical about that. And so Christ's desire is to get into his church and not just have his presence there, but also to enjoy fellowship with his church. And so listen, that word sup in your Bible, it, it is the short word for supper, and it's a meal that's eaten in the evening. And that's really important because it's the last meal that's eaten before the day dawns. In other words, we eat supper or dinner, however you want to do it. We eat it at night. And the next big thing that happens is the new day. And can I just tell you that, that Christ is desiring for this church, this last period of church history, this Laodicean church age, Christ is desiring to come in and have his presence felt among the Laodicean church, and Christ's desire is to come in and have fellowship with the Laodicean church in the evening before the day of the Lord. God, God gives us an amazing picture, even over even over our meals and over our food. And, and what's interesting as I read this passage is that Christ is wanting to come into the church, and it almost reads like 
the Christians inside that church are preparing something for him. And, and I think there's some New Testament application of that. In John chapter 12, you know, there's a story of, of Jesus going into Bethany. And in John chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. And, and again, man, we're, we're talking about this thing of, of hospitality and fellowship with Christ and, and sitting down for a meal. And sometimes in our mind, we think, man, that's something that Christ prepares for us. And he does. And we'll get to that in a second. But can I also tell you, that's something that you can pre- prepare for Christ. And, and by the way, in John chapter 12, the people that were preparing it for Christ, the people that made him a supper, well, one of them was one that had been raised from dead. One, one of those men was Lazarus who had been dead, but Christ called his name and he came running out of that grave. Amen? I think we sang that last week. And listen, it's the person that went from death to life that invited Christ to come and to sup with him because he desired Christ's fellowship. Now listen, again, there's a day coming where there is the marriage supper of the Lamb, and, and Revelation chapter 19 talks about it, and we'll get to that in a second, but, but can I just tell you right now, there's an opportunity for you and for I to personally invite Christ to fellowship with us. Sure. He's a gentleman. He's not going to force himself. I have to tell my kids, like, my kids are of the age, man, they really enjoy going to other people's houses, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for all of your families, and and. But, but I tell my kids, hey, hey, you can't just, you can't invite yourself over. <laughs> like, like every Sunday afternoon, it's, it's like, hey, um, I'm thinking about going to so-and-so. So I'm like, did they ask you to come over? You can't just invite yourself over, right? Uh, I know some of you are saying, oh, yeah, sure they can. No, they can't. That's not, <laughs> that's not proper. That's not proper. And, and so, but if you give them the invite, we're going to send them with you type thing. Okay, so uh, I'll be looking for you after church. So the point is, you have to be invited, right? But can I tell you that, that listen, the motivation for you inviting, even God knows that. And, and I need you to turn to Luke chapter 7 because there's another illustration. I want to look at this illustration and then we'll kind of wind this thing down. But, but in Luke chapter 7, there's a Pharisee uh, whose name is Simon. And, you know, we see in John chapter 12 that Lazarus invited Christ to a supper. He invited him to come and fellowship with him over food. And, and that was something that someone who had been transitioned from death to life, was glad to do. And as a believer in Christ, you've been moved from death to life. You ought to be glad to to welcome Christ in and desire fellowship with him. But can I also tell you that religious people do that with wrong motives? Luke chapter 7, verse 36, it says, One of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And so this Pharisee is inviting Jesus into his house. And he went into the Pharisee's house, and he sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner... When she knew that Jesus sat at the meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself saying, this man, well, this man, if he were a prophet, he would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him for she is a what? She's a sinner. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Simon, by the way, Simon said this in his head, and Christ still heard it. 
That ought to give you a check right there. Uh, Simon, he, Christ answered him. He said, Simon, I have somewhat to say against thee, or, uh, unto thee. And, and he said, Master, say on. He said, there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence, the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he, frankly, forgave them both. Two people owed money. The person they owed it to forgave both of them their debt. One owed a lot more than the other. As a matter of fact, he owed uh, 10 times as much, right? And they had nothing to pay. He frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him the most, the one that forgave their debt? And Simon answered and said, I suppose he to whom he forgave the most. And he, Christ, said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Now check this out. See this woman? Here's what Christ says. I entered into thine house, but thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Do you see that Christ begins to rebuke this Pharisee, not because he invited him in, but because his motive for inviting him was wrong? As a matter of fact, none of the things that you would do out of a, a, an area of hospitality were done for Christ. Here's what you didn't do. You didn't even wash my feet, but this woman has washed my feet with her tears. Look at verse 45. Thou gavest me no kiss, which would have been customary to greet a guest into your home. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore, I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Listen, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And I, I want to have us understand this morning that even Pharisees can invite Jesus in, but here's how they do it. Here's your key. Pharisees invite Jesus into their house due to formality not due to a desire for fellowship. That's a religious person, man. That, that is a Laodicean Christian mentality who wants all the boxes checked. Yes, I want Jesus to come into my house. Let's get this over with because we only have an hour and a half and I need to get lunch. I want the formality of Christianity. It's been accomplished. It's been completed. Let me check the box. But there's no genuine desire to truly sit and to fellowship with Christ and Jesus rebukes this Pharisee for his lack of hospitality. You didn't give me any water to wash my feet. You gave me no kiss. You didn't anoint my head with oil. Do you even want me here? There's a woman that's a sinner that wants me here. And she wants to fellowship with me. And she wants to have time with me. But man, just because you open the door doesn't mean you have the right motivation. You see, this woman, this sinner woman that interrupted the meal, she, she loved much because she was forgiven much. And see, Pharisees love little. Get this in your notes. Pharisees love little because they don't realize the magnitude of their own sin. And they don't understand the measure of Christ's forgiveness. As a matter of fact, that Pharisee kind of elevated himself, didn't he? Above that sinner woman. But can I tell you, he also elevated himself even above Christ. He showed no hospitality to Christ. He almost 
probably had the motivation and mindset that I'm doing you a favor by you being here. Man, that's not what God's interested in. God's not interested in you checking the box. God's not interested in you carving out an hour and a half of mandatory time with him, the formality of Christianity. God's not interested in your formality. What he's interested in is fellowship. And you know how that is, man, because when you go to people's houses and you develop friendships and you develop relationships, it's like, man, the time goes so fast and you don't want it to end. So you get another coffee, hoping that we can push this another 30 minutes or not. You know, you know what I'm saying? You just don't want it to end. And it's the same way with Christ. That's what he's looking for. So we had the opportunity to fellowship with him and to sup with him. And then the verse says, and he with me. And can I tell you that I think is the prophetic point that goes to the marriage supper of the Lamb because in Revelation chapter 19, God tells us in verse 9 that Christ is going to prepare a marriage supper of, of the Lamb at the wedding or the marriage of the Lamb in, in verses 7 and 8. And listen, we're all going to be there as believers in Christ you know, Park and John had just got married a couple of weeks ago, and so they had this amazing wedding, the best pastor and preacher I've ever heard in my life. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> That's totally a joke. Man, I sweated so much in that sunlight, in that suit. It was, it was, there were some amazing pictures, and, and man, uh, thank God I wasn't in any of them because, man, I think I lost 10 pounds. We had an amazing opportunity. Man, it was a great wedding. It was an amazing wedding, an amazing couple. But after that, after that wedding... It was an amazing supper, and, and we all sat together, and we all fellowshiped together, and we laughed together. I mean, it was just awesome, and man, Christ is preparing that for us, right? He, he has this, this marriage supper of the Lamb that every Christian is going to be a part of, but listen, 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 don't let that experience be the first time. Don't let the marriage supper of the Lamb be the first time that you actually sit and sup with the Lord, and for most Christians, that probably will be the first time. And man, you're going to enjoy it, but, but I think you're also going to remember and, and regret. I should have took advantage of this a lot sooner. For, for other people, man, that marriage supper of the Lamb is going to be like old friends getting together. Once again, man, we, we were blessed to be a part of, 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 of Park and John's wedding, and there were friends there. There were people there that we knew, and, and there were new friends that we made. And it was like, man, I got my old friends here, and we've done this a million times, and now I've got new friends, and, and, and this is just awesome. Let's let our relationship with Christ be that we are fellowshipping with him now so that when we get there then, we already know what to expect, right? Okay, we got to go. All right, go, go to verse 21. Let's, let's get to this last one. So there's a dinner. I had to use the D for dinner, but really it's the supper, so, so forgive the the technicality. Some of you Bible scholars are like, oh, let's see. It's actually not dinner, it's supper. Okay, it is, it is dinner for the note, uh, but it is the supper, right? The marriage supper of the Lamb. Okay, and then, and then number three, God gives us a duty to be discharged. He, he gives this Laodicean church an opportunity to have responsibility in his kingdom. Verse 21, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and I'm set down with my father in his throne. And so, and so God in his grace, even to this carnal, middle-of-the-road, backslidden, lukewarm church, 
He's like, man, there's something available for you. I got, I got something for you if you're willing to overcome. And so here's the key in your notes. We know that, that Christ overcame the world. We know that from John chapter 16 and verse 33. These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And, and listen, because you are in Christ, you can have peace in the midst of tribulation. Uh, Listen, you don't have to watch Fox News or CNN or, or Drudge or Breitbart or whatever your flavor is. None of that should give you peace. The only peace you can get for a Christian is the peace that's in Christ because Christ overcame the world. And so get this key in your notes. Secondly, because Christ overcame the world, so can I. I can overcome the world because Christ overcame the world. That promise is given to us in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. If you just believe the Bible and believe what God says, listen, you can overcome this world because Christ overcame the world. And so in all seven churches that we've studied, in every church, Christ offers something to the overcomer because he wants us to overcome. And in Revelation chapter 3, I think this church of Laodicea has an interesting opportunity because he says, listen, if you'll overcome, you can sit with me in my throne. And so Christ has a throne. And what you do on a throne is you rule and reign from a throne over a kingdom. And we're going to talk about that throne in Revelation chapter 4 in a few weeks. And we're going, to, we're going to study that throne in detail, but you need to know that Christ has a throne and there's an opportunity for you to be a part of his rulership in his kingdom. And so the key in your notes is this, overcoming now results in granted rulership then. In other words, we had the privilege, we had the opportunity, and can I just tell you the church that doesn't deserve any of it, by the way. I mean, you can't, you can't argue the Laodicean church has the best deal going. I mean, any Christian has the best deal going, but can I just tell you of all those seven churches, the one that Christ had nothing good to say about, do you understand that what he's offering to the overcomer is an opportunity to sit in his throne with him in his kingdom? Are you kidding me? What an amazing opportunity. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12 says, If we suffer... We shall also reign with him. And that word if is conditional. And, and if we choose to suffer the sufferings of Christ in this life, God promises that we shall reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And that denying us is not denying us salvation because your salvation is secure in Christ. But what Christ can deny us is the privilege of reigning with him. And you say, well, I'll be in heaven. It won't matter. Friend, you don't have a, a biblical understanding of the judgment seat of Christ. You don't have a biblical understanding of the millennial reign of Christ. You don't want to be the one that misses out on the opportunity to sit in his throne with him. Which, which makes me think that there will be people that miss that opportunity. Doesn't mean they won't be in heaven. Doesn't mean they won't be in God's kingdom. But, but those that, that had the opportunity and the privilege to rule and reign with Christ, man, that's a granted privilege to the overcomer. So, so here's where we'll wind it down. 
And, and I hope that's your desire. And, and again, man, if that, if that concept is like maybe too big for you, let's get in the Word of God a little bit more to, to understand the, the brevity of that and the gravity of that because that's a biblical mindset. That's a biblical concept. Here's the point. When you put Christ on the throne of your life now, Christ will put you with him in his throne then. That's the way it shakes. And, and, and so the question for us is, who is going to reign today in our life? And there's only two options. It's either me or Christ. And Laodicea struggles with me. They struggle with I, right? And, and, and so we have to position ourselves to let Christ rule and reign today so that we can rule and reign with him then. Okay, Romans 6 is where we'll end. Look at Romans 6, verses 11 to 13. So, so Romans chapter 6 says, Likewise reckon or account ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here it is. Let not sin therefore reign, R-E-I-G-N, have rulership in your mortal body that you should obey the lust thereof. Neither yield ye, members as, uh, ye your members as instruments of, of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto who? It's all about who you're going to submit to. It's all about who's going to be the authority. And it's either going to be your flesh and your will and sin, or it's going to be Christ. You're going to yield yourself to one or the other. He says, yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And, and, and guys, listen, man, let's not let sin reign in our life. Let's not let our flesh have rulership. Let's not let sin have the throne of authority in our life because when we, when we put ourselves on the throne, we kick Christ off. And man, if he can't reign in our life now, we won't have the privilege of reigning with him then. And again, man, if you're born again, you'll, you'll be there. But how it shakes out in his kingdom, man, I don't think you want that. I don't think you want to be not sitting with him in his throne. The only way that happens is you allow him to rule now. Verse 22, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And we've covered a lot of ground the last couple of months. Seven churches, seven challenges, seven different manifestations of Christ, seven different charges or challenges, seven different promises to the overcomer. Let's be hearers of God's word, right? And we live in this Laodicean age, and God's met us right where we are. He knows, he knows what we deal with. He knows what we struggle with. And he's standing at the door. And he's knocking. And he wants any man to hear his voice and to open. The question is, will that be you? Will it be you? Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. 